0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment and visit nbcocalacom slash stories to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to help support the ministry financially, you can give online or through our mobile giving app. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. I am really excited about what God's going to do over the next few minutes. I believe that uh, God has ordained this message for this time, and it could be more timely with all that's going on. And so I'm excited to share with you. I do want you to know, so this is my wife, Jessica. She's uh, She and I have been married 15 years. We have three kids together. She's an all-star. We serve in ministry together. She's the children's director of Olive Elevation Church. I get to oversee the family ministry. As Pastor Ryan said, so there's, I don't know, at this church, 20, uh, this weekend, 21,000 people at church or something like that. A lot of people, uh, we've been together as a church 10 years. So 10 years ago, we were eight families. And so God has done a lot in a very short amount of time under the leadership of our pastor, Pastor Stephen. And I will say this, I feel like I'm an expert at no things, but maybe starting to dabble in on this one thing. I'm an expert on seeing God move in a not normal kind of way. And when I come here and I see your church and the people that I've got to meet, the staff over the last couple days, spending time with your volunteers and connecting with people in the hallways, I want you to know, in case you don't know, if no one else has told you this, what is happening here in Ocala is not normal. You have a very special church and God is moving through you in a very special way. So hear it from somebody that sees God move and knows what it looks like for something to not be normal. This is not normal. You have something very special. I mean that in all the nice ways. Because when you heard that as a kid and you're told not normal, it hurt your feelings. But in this case, it's a really good thing. We're in a summer series. Our message today is titled, A Summer Like No Other. A Summer Like No Other. Um, We'll have scriptures on the screen as we go through today. But if you want to take notes, that's a good place to start. A Summer like no other. Now, when it comes to summer, we love to create memories. We want to make great memories. It's a great time for vacation, you know, school's out, just kind of changes things up. In fact, we love to have mountaintop experiences, like these unforgettable moments with our kids and friends. Well, for some of you here in Florida, the way you have mountaintop experiences, you get in your car and you drive up our way and you go to the Appalachian Mountains and you get away from all the chaos down here and you get up there and you enjoy these true mountaintop experiences. Well, way up north where I'm from, North Carolina, um, we travel to Florida to the mountains. Do you know this? We travel to Florida to the mountains. Thunder Mountain, Splash Mountain, Space Mountain. So we're those people, the people you avoid. That's my family, okay. So, uh, so I don't take it personal. I understand you want to get some space. Well, our first time coming down to create one of these memorable mountaintop experiences with our family. We hadn't had our daughter yet. We had our couple of sons at that point. And we traveled down to Disney World. Now, this is a really big deal for me because, see, I didn't grow up with any siblings. So when we had our first son, my best resource was Google. Like, I had to find out, like, how do you raise a kid? How do you change a diaper? How do you do all this stuff? I had no clue. No clue. Actually, first diaper I put on, I put on backwards, just to give you a perspective. Literally, no joke, put it on backwards. I had no clue I did anything wrong. And so got some room for improvement. We have a second child. And I will tell you, somewhere around having a second child, I created this unique anxi- anxiety. It was very real for me, a very real fear. We would go out in public, and I was genuinely afraid I was going to lose one of our kids. Like I really thought, like we would go to the mall, and I would get nervous, like getting closer to the mall. And so I was afraid I was going to lose a kid. So then my wife proposed it, so let's have a mountaintop experience by taking the kids to the most likely place to lose your child on earth, Disney World. And I'm like, wait a second, this is a problem. So I said, that's fine, we'll do it on one condition. I establish a safety policy and procedure that we all recognize and adhere to at all times while having fun. Shut your face, I'm talking, we're having fun, (laughs) right? So... The agreement was each morning before we left for the park, we would have this little huddle, talk about who you go to, what they're wearing, all this stuff, if we get separated. Seems reasonable to me. They're rolling their eyes. Even Jessica's rolling her eyes. She's like, oh, gosh, here we go. So Monday morning, we have our meeting. We go to the parks, and everything goes great. Tuesday morning, we have our meeting. We go to the parks. Everything is great. By the third day, I'm getting a little less anxious. This Disney place is safe and good. I won't lose my kid. We don't need the meeting today. Halfway through the day, you see where I'm going, right? Okay, halfway through the day, we're getting off a Toy Story ride, the Buzz Lightyear ride. We're getting off and I say, hey Jess, where do you wanna go next? Jessica, Micah, no Isaac. So suddenly my youngest is missing. And my heart starts to race. So I look at Jessica and Mike, and I say, Hey, hey, listen, we got to follow the plan. You got to stay together. You're not allowed to separate. You know where to go. You remember it from yesterday. Don't, yes, you remember it from yesterday. We had a meeting about it. You're going to go that way. I'm going to go this way. Uh, and we'll circle back in just a minute. So I take off running. And I'm looking everywhere I can to find Isaac. And I don't see him anywhere. And somewhere in my gaze, I realize that my wife and oldest son have not moved. So I run over, very angry. (laughs) What are you doing? Isaac is missing. This is not good. Follow the plan. And I go to turn away, and my oldest son grabs my shirt and pulls back. At this point, I am not a good, good father. I'm an angry, angry father. So I turn back, and I say, what? And he just points up. And that's when I realized that Isaac is sitting on my shoulders. And I have been running around, spinning around, trying to find my son. Little things could throw us off track just a little, right? I was so, so scared. Fortunately, crisis averted. Everything's fine. We want to have these mountaintop memories. And that ended up being a great memory for us and such a great time. I almost messed it up, but it was good. But we love them. We love mountaintop memories. But honestly, we don't stay on the mountain, right? Those are special memories, special moments. We're going to stay kind of in the plateau, in the level ground, regular life most of the time, right? Normal living, work, life, school. None of that's bad. It's just what we do. So we learn how to navigate and have a good time. But every once in a while, something happens. Something happens in our life and we find ourselves in a valley. And I'll have to say, I don't necessarily have a hard time navigating the mountaintop experiences. They're pretty awesome. Uh, Life has its little bumps and bruises, but I can navigate pretty well. But there are times when it feels like it just hits hard. And I will find myself in a valley. And I know you've found yourself there before. It's those times when maybe you lose a loved one too soon. Or someone that you thought you were gonna be in a relationship forever is now gone. You didn't expect it. Or maybe one thing happened in your finances and it really wrecked everything. And now you're trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces and you find yourself in the valley. How can we have a summer like no other when these moments happen that drop us down in a valley and come so unexpected, so quickly? Well, I believe God is a good, good God who gives us his word to help us navigate every moment of our lives in all the unique ways. And today we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can go there now, Mark chapter 9. If not, use version on your phone or check out the screens. I'm going to do a quick summary of what's happening at the beginning, and then we'll get into the text. So Mark chapter 9 begins with what's called the transfiguration of Jesus, the ultimate mountaintop experience. So Jesus goes up this mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and it's up there that suddenly Jesus' clothes become bright white, brighter than any white they'd ever seen ever, ever, ever. He's glowing with the glory of God, and a voice from heaven declares, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Peter gets excited, decides he wants to build shelters. He's like, this is a good place. We are setting up shop here on the mountain. I am never leaving. This is awesome. But at the same time, a father in heaven is declaring over his son Jesus, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. There's another father we're getting ready to encounter in the valley. And essentially he's saying, this is my son whom I love heal him make him better this is hard and that's where we find ourselves in mark chapter 9 verse 14 says this when they came to the other disciples so this is Jesus Peter James and John making their way down to the mountain they're going to find that when they come off the mountaintop experience they find themselves in chaos They saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So the disciples and the religious leaders are all arguing and going back and forth, and tension is very high at the base of this mountain in the valley. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. This is amazing. Here is Jesus. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd, this father that I mentioned, the one with the son, Answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, and That's just he it becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, whenever I come across what I would deem just a normal, average person in scripture, I try to put myself into their shoes. For the longest time, when I was young in my faith, I would put myself in the shoes of the disciples and Jesus, because I'm going to be like them, because they're awesome. I'm learning that maybe I need to start with a little lower standard to work my way in this faith thing and grow. Okay, I'm going to be like Jesus, but let me figure out how this dad managed this thing with this son. So I'm like, okay, how, how did he do this? And I meet a father that we're going to find out in just a few moments. His son has been sick for a very long time since childhood. Now I'm like, okay, well, as a father, how would I see this going down? Well, he's bringing his son to Jesus, which means he probably brought his son to other people, right? To be healed, to the doctors to be healed. He had people at church pray for him. He did everything he knew how to do. In fact, we know if we do a little research that the town where they're going right now, there are people that would pass through. And they were so-called miracle workers. And they would sell things. For only 19.99. in just 14 days, your child can be healed. And what they would do is they would sell him the stuff, and he would give his possessions and give his life, anything he could to help his son. So he would give everything he could. And before the 14 days was over and discovered that the plan didn't work, the person had moved on to another city, another town. So I see this father doing everything that he knows how to do to make his son better. Because that's what I would do. I would try, try to make him better. And yet here he is in a very frustrated stance. Well, how did he get here now? Well, I picture him at home as he begins to see people making their way toward this mountain. People are closing their shops. They're going down. They're going somewhere. Where are they all going? He peeks his head out the door to see what's going on because after all, he's sitting in his house with his son. And they say, we're all going to meet a miracle worker. Now, when you've done this many, many times before in hopes of healing your son, you're kind of like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, have fun with that, let me know. But I picture the people going by, they've heard the news that Jesus has made the blind see and the lame walk, that this is like legitimate. People have seen and heard of his miracles. There's something to this Jesus. This is different. And the father has a decision to make. Do I get mine and my son's hopes up again? Do we put ourselves through all this again? At some point, he makes the decision to at least go check it out. And I see him there with his son working his way into the crowd. And the crowd realizing that he's brought his son and said, oh, we're going to get to see a miracle today. And so they pushed him and his son toward the front of the crowd to the base of this mountain where Jesus would be. And it was there they were going to see a healing. And there had to be all this anticipation and excitement that built, and he's wove his way through the crowd to the base of that mountain to have an encounter with Jesus because finally it was going to change because this Jesus was different. He gets to the base of the mountain, and Jesus isn't there. Jesus is up on top of the mountain. So the disciples and religious leaders were having their conversations and disagreements. Somewhere along the way, it's like, you just heal them. So the disciples are like, it's okay, guys. We got this. we do really have to wait on Jesus to get back. Well, that doesn't work out. So now this father has gone on an incredible, painful, uh, really difficult journey of emotions. He's been not excited at all, skeptical, started to build excitement, high excitement, high excitement, high excitement, didn't work, sadness, 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 now frustration and anger and arguing is happening when Jesus comes down the mountain. So he said, I brought you my son and you could do nothing to make him better. That's why I'm angry, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says in verse 19, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. Verse 20, when the spirit saw Jesus and immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Really? This father who's already been through all this. Now Jesus says, bring your son. And now he has one of his attacks in front of everybody. Could this day get any worse? The father is going through so many emotions. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And of course, as we've already discussed from childhood. Verse 22, it is often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Anything. To the God of the universe, the creator of all the stars and the heavens and earth anything if you could just take pity on us if you could just make it a little better that would be nice please just give us something it's something that scares me in the way that we grow in our faith because sometimes there are things in our life that Jesus doesn't answer in the time frame that we want and so our frustration becomes one that voices itself in our prayers By settling, we change our language. We say, God, if you could just, and then we rattle off something. If you could just make it a little better. I see this father, anything. What is anything? Uh, If you could just make it where he doesn't have any attacks in public anymore, that would be awesome. That would make our life better. If you could just make it where we slept better and it was just a little easier. If you could make the medicine cost a little less. If you could just do anything, help me just a little. How does a man get to the place where he goes to the table of God and begs for scraps? Well, all I know is that it takes a man to a really difficult place to have to ask for help, to ask for pity. Isn't that true? Like, we got to get, men, would you agree? Hey, ladies, um, maybe for Father's Day, which you should ask or get for your husband, for Father's Day is a little dose of less pride. Why don't you just look at him and say, I'm going to get you less pride for, don't, don't say that. That would be mean. Don't say that to him. But that's true, right? Like, for, for men, we just don't want to ask for help for anything. And we see this father saying, help me, take pity on me, all this stuff. And we're like, what? how does a man get to that place? I got thinking about this. And men don't want to ask for help for anything, including directions. So I did a little research. And I found out, and this may not surprise any of you. You maybe already knew this. That the GPS was invented by men. This does not surprise me. Now, if you do a little more research, you'll find out that according to the internet, which I don't know, I guess you can believe some of the stuff on there, it says that the U.S. Department of Defense made arrangements with three key men with all these physics and doctorate degrees to figure out GPS because they needed to figure out stuff with defense and satellites and all this stuff. They say that's why it was invented. I do not believe them. You know what I think? I think these three guys were on a road trip together with their wives. And they got lost. And they had to go into the local convenience store and ask for directions. And they came out and said, I declare on this day, I will never ask for help again. And they came up with a system that involves 30 satellites revolving around the earth to ensure that they would never ask for directions again. We do not ask for help. We're men. We don't do this. But here's this father that's come and said, if you can do anything. Take pity on us. Help us. If you can, help. Jesus' response is amazing. He says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. What a beautiful, beautiful scripture. Everything is possible for him who believes. And one of my favorite lines in all of scripture comes next. The father says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What a beautiful phrase for anybody to say. I do believe as much as I know how to believe, God. I believe in you. I don't know it all. I don't have it all figured out. I give you what I got. But wherever there's a gap, whatever I don't know, will you just help with that? Help me fill in the gaps of my faith. Let them not be in the way. What a beautiful, beautiful idea. Anything from God or everything from God? We have a good, good father. Wants everything for us, and yet we settle for anything. Listen to this. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, as I said in verse 24, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Sometimes that's how we read scripture because we're trying to get through our reading plan really quickly and just trying to log it off. Check, did that. Pastor Tim read my Bible today. It was a little fast, but I read it. Um, but let's go back for just a second. Jesus calls out the spirit. And what happens? The son is there lying like a corpse. Some people say he's dead. You have a situation that you've been dealing with for a while. And some people in your life have declared that situation dead. And on behalf of Jesus, I want to say I'm sorry for that because they don't have permission to speak death into what God has not done working in and through, that he is a healer and resurrects and has power and boldness and he can do it all. Don't let anyone speak to you that way. Just an encouraging word. Some of us have this mindset that if we could just make it through this season in the valley, if we could just navigate this part, we could get to a better place. And there, you could experience a miracle. But what I want to tell you is that miracles happen on the mountain. But miracles happen in the valley as well. And so you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to settle for just anything when everything is possible for him who believes. Twice, this father asked for help. If you can do anything, help us. Take pity on us. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I need help. Now there are three words that we don't say very often when we grow up, and as best I know, these words stop being said around the time we become a middle schooler. Because when you become a middle schooler, you know everything. <laughs> but as some boy life we grow up, we realize we don't know everything, but we've already lost these words from our vocabulary. Here's what I want you to I want you to pick a neighbor right now. Pick a neighbor, and you're going to say three words to this neighbor. You're going to say them very quietly, okay, very quietly, very discreetly. Pick your neighbor, and you're going to say, I need help. You guys listen very well. I need help. So I want you to look at the other neighbor, the one that you don't like, <laughs> that you didn't choose, and I want you to say, you need help. It's so much easier to say that, isn't it? It's hard for me to say, I need help. But it's so easy to say, you need help. In fact, I think everybody in this room would be comfortable just pointing fingers and just saying, you need help, you need help, you need help, you need help. You need help. But the idea of saying, I need help, it's a little harder to say, isn't it? One of the reasons I think it's difficult for us to say, I need help, is because... Some of you may be in a situation where you're like this father, and it feels like everything is falling apart, and you need help with everything. There are a select few in this room that you're in that season, but most of us aren't. And the reason we won't say we need help is because while we just need it for one thing, we're afraid that when people hear me say I need help with one thing, that I'm not a good father, a good provider, a good husband. I'm flawed in every way. Everything in my life is unraveling. And it's not true. But there is one area in your life that you could, you could use some help. My oldest son is getting ready to go into high school. I need help. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I've never had a high schooler before. He, this summer, has surpassed me in height and weight. I'm in trouble. I can't even beat him at wrestling. I'm in trouble. I don't remember this stuff. No, we didn't text when I was, I handed notes. I don't even understand, like the Snapchat thing. I, I have one. I don't understand it. I need help. Maybe you need help too. Maybe it's not because your son's going into high school. Maybe most things are going good for you, but your marriage needs some help. Maybe everything looks great on the outside. Because, I mean, all of you in my imagination, because I've met so many of you now, are all just so happy and rosy and peachy. It feels like everything's perfect for you. I don't really understand it. Like, it's like the city of Alcala is like this safe place where nothing goes wrong. Like, you guys are very perfect people. So it's all perfect. But maybe you need help with your marriage. Maybe you need help because you're battling depression and you don't even know why. Everything seems to be going good, but there's something that's just off. Maybe you need help with your kids. Maybe you're facing something that no one in this room can even understand or imagine. But you need help. Not with everything, but there's something that you need help for. I have good news for you today. God meets you where you're at. Now, I could end the sermon right there. I could get really loud saying, God meets you where you're at. And I could say it real fiery. And you'd be like, that little guy is very excited up there on the stage. And I could get you shouting and clapping. I could probably get at least five of you to stand up and like shout. I could run back and forth and say, God meets you where you're at. Yes, he does. And I could get you all excited about it. But I want to make it just a little more practical than that. God meets you where you're at. And you are at Meadowbrook Church, and God can meet you right here, right here, very specifically in a very tangible way, a very real way. God can meet you where you're at. And this very big church that's made very small through small groups and the time that we serve together, there are these opportunities for this big church to get small where God can meet you where you're at. Now, I, as family pastor, I have a unique role of family pastor at Elevation. So I oversee kids, students, and all adult groups. So basically, your entire life, I feel some weight of ministry for you at Elevation Church. So I've been doing some research on what it's like to go sign up for a small group. I know your, your church is really big in the small groups. In fact, I haven't signed up for a small group here, but I can tell you kind of how it goes They said something on the screen about go sign up for a small group. It's summer. There's probably a very small form that you fill out somewhere that's very easily seen for you to sign up and get connected to the church through small groups. It's like a thing, it's not very hard to do. You probably have to walk past it. But I know how most of you feel. And while the little video clip of the guy on the screen is like, go sign up for a small group. It's summer. And you're like, oh, it's easy. I know what's going through your mind. Have you ever been driving down the interstate just a little too fast? And a police officer pulls out on the interstate behind you but doesn't turn on their lights. And they slowly shift to get just behind you. Your heart starts racing. Your palms are sweating because you're not sure. Did it get me? What's going on? Like, I don't know. Do I speed up? Do I slow down? Do I take this exit or does that make me look guilty? What, what do I I don't, I don't know what to do right now, and you just keep like looking back, glancing back. No lights, no lights, no lights. How long does it take to take my license plate into the into the computer? I don't know. Like, am probably clear? I'm probably, I probably I don't I don't know. And your mind just races. I think that's what it's like when it comes time to sign up for a small group. I really do. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I got this. I'm driving down the road. It's like. Well, is, is anybody else going? And, like, you see the sign, and as you get closer, your hands get sweaty, your heart starts racing. You're like, I don't know how this is going to go down. I don't know if this is going to work. The last person I had in the small group leader was crazy. He was the only one in the whole church that was crazy, but I did find that one. And so I'm really, really nervous right now. And right at the last minute, you take the exit, and you go out, and you're like, Phew. made it this week. Hopefully they don't say anything about that again next week. <laughs> but they do. They keep saying it over and over and over again. There is value in community and you connecting with a small group of people because here's what happens when you get in community with a small group of people that's in a similar season as you. Every time, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm reading something that will happen when you go do this. You're gonna sign up for a small group and after a few weeks of meeting with a small group, you're gonna get comfortable enough to whisper that you need help with whatever it is. And you're like ready for the room to freak out like unravel. Everything's going to come down. And you know what's going to happen next? Somebody in the room's going to say, me too. I'm glad you said something about that. And You're like, "Oh, okay, we made it. We made it. We made it. But until then, even through those first couple weeks, there's a little bit of anxiousness inside of us about what it could look like to be in that small group of community, but there's great value in it. I want to give you a statement. I hope this locks in your mind and really, really sinks in. The discomfort of uncertainty should not overshadow the value of community. The discomfort of uncertainty should not overshadow the value of community. There is great value in community where we can see God work in and through us. This father had an incredible opportunity to meet Jesus and have this healing and have this experience where he had someone help him overcome his unbelief, help him fill the gap. The great way that Jesus has chosen to do that today is through the local church. And when we're in community, we can find just that. So here's what's gonna happen. I believe that whenever we remember God's faithfulness, recognize what he's done for us, It requires response. Remembering God's faithfulness. Recognizing what he's done for us. It requires response. So here's what we're going to do. Everybody's going to stand up in the room right now. Everybody in the whole room. We're all going to stand up. Everybody stand up. First two worship experiences or services were faster at standing up. You're a slow standing up crowd. I can give you that. Um, So here's what we're going to do. For some of you... The idea that Jesus is everything, the creator of heaven and earth, and he died for you is amazing. And today's the day that you need to embrace that, to make a decision to give your life to Jesus and surrender it to him, to say, I need everything, I need help, and God, I hear you got it, so here's my life. So we're going to pray for that in just a moment. But as I said, remembering requires response. Recognizing God's past faithfulness requires response. When we come in here and we worship and we declare that he's the God that can do everything and for everything and care for us in every way, it requires response. For many of you, that requirement's going to be for you to step out and go sign up for a small group for the summer or the fall. Like They'll, they'll handle all that for you. You just go right out the door, so it's really easy. I guarantee it's easy. I've never done it, but it's easy, I promise. It's not a hard thing to do. So you're going to sign up for a small group. You've got to get to a place where you can say, I need help. And while you come here often and you sit in these chairs, the idea of getting up here in front of all these people and say, I need help and fill in the blank would feel very uncomfortable. You need some smaller setting for community where you can work through stuff. So you're going to do that. Now, here's what we're going to do for those that are accepting Christ for the first time or coming back to Jesus. I'd like for you just to bear with me. We're going to pray a prayer out loud together, all of us in this room, for the benefit of those that are praying it for the first time. Saying, we are with you. We are for you. We're going to fill in the gap of your unbelief when you say, I do believe, but I don't have it all figured out. I do believe, but I'm not sure how it all works yet. You can hear and see the voices in this room saying, whatever your gaps are, whatever you're struggling with, we're going to stand here with you, even in this first step of faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you died on a cross for me. I give you my life. I turn from my sin. I embrace your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, uh, there are people in this room that I know gave their life to Jesus. Would you just give them a round of applause right now? We are excited for you. So here's what's going to happen. If you made a decision to give your life to Jesus or you need additional prayer, I want to encourage you to come forward after the worship experience, just over here to the side, or just over to that side. Well, some people here, that will just encourage you, answer questions, help you know what to do next. We want to be here for you. We're excited for you. This is a good thing. This is a good day. For some of you, please, 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 when you walk out those doors, there's a magnet pulling to the outside parking lot. And all I ask is that if you know that your next step is to get into a small group and to get in community, please don't make that turn without swinging by that table first. They'll help you figure out all the logistics. You don't have to know everything. Just say, hey, he said I need to do it. I think, think maybe that's true. Can you help me? Like, it's that easy. Can you do that for me? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray one last time and then we're going to be dismissed, okay? Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all you're doing. We believe that the best is yet to come. We thank you for this amazing church and what you'd allow us to be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great day. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.